Welcome to the AI and Enterprise podcast, presented by the Laboratory for Innovation Science at Harvard. This podcast aims to provide executives and senior management with an enterprise-focused forum for understanding artificial intelligence. Drawing on our lab's extensive experience over the past decade, running programs that develop algorithm and AI-based solutions with partners across industries, as well as subject matter expertise from Harvard Business School faculty and partners, each monthly installment will delve into the strategies that enterprises need to successfully integrate AI solutions. And now, here is the moderator for today's session, Jin Paik, General Director of Laboratory for Innovation Science at Harvard. Great. Thanks, Jenny. Welcome, everybody. Quick intro. Again, I'm the director and senior researcher here at the Laboratory for Innovation Science at Harvard, and I focus quite a bit on digital transformation and open innovation. And this program that we have, AIE, AI in the Enterprise, is a critical need for sharing practical insights and thoughts. Uh, in the past, we've had Latanya Sweeney talk about ethics and Fabio Luzzi talk about supply chain for tapestry and coach. And today we're going to be focusing on various AI adoption strategies. And so I want to encourage you guys to continue to check out our series. And without further ado, I want to introduce Ali very briefly, and I'll hand it over to her. Ali, thank you very much for coming and joining us. Ali Miller is the Global Head of Machine Learning Business Development for Startups and Venture Capital at AWS. Ali was named as Conicon's 2019 AI Innovator of the Year. She was previously at IBM Watson, very decorated as an MBA from Wharton and then a BA from Dartmouth as well. So without further ado, Ali, thank you very, very, very much for joining our community today. And I'll just hand it over to you. Awesome. So hi, everyone. Very exciting to meet you all. As mentioned, my name is Ali Miller. We are going to be talking about real strategies for adopting AI. For the most part, this will focus on true enterprise. So even though my main focus is startups and venture capital, my background is also AI and enterprise. And so we're going to be focusing on that world, taking into account how to balance time, resources, and budget to be able to adopt AI in-house. This is a very tactical talk. Normally, as I'm sure you guys have now experienced several times, there's usually like an intro. What is AI? What does it mean? We're skipping all that. You guys have had those talks and we're going to be going into the real strategies. But a bit about me, one is take a second right now and go ahead and follow on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn. The point of giving talks is to continue to engage with the audience. I'm going to give you more questions than you are probably going to get answers to. And that's the whole point of these talks on new emerging technologies to not only give you some real tactical strategies, but also to give you some inspiration of what to think about for the next two to five years. So as Jin mentioned, my role is Global Head of Machine Learning Business Development for Startups and Venture Capital at AWS at Amazon Web Services. Before this, I was at IBM Watson on the product side, leading engineering teams of about 30 to 50 folks. I've worked on over 500 ML implementations, about half of those with startups, about half with enterprise, thinking about Fortune 100 companies, how they're adopting AI. I have an extreme passion for diversity in AI and getting more underrepresented folks into artificial intelligence and machine learning. Founder of Girls of the Future, which I'll be rolling out this year. And as Jin mentioned, I couldn't give a talk at Harvard without saying that I am unfortunately not an alum of Harvard, but I'm a proud alum of some other schools. I went to Wharton and Dartmouth and 
Wharton, I went for my MBA and ended up launching, you know, a very large student group, the country's largest AI student group. The reason I mention that so deeply today is because I actually did pull in sort of an MBA approach to how to balance these different strategies for adopting AI in the enterprise. So we're going to be putting our business hats on. I first have to share some helpful stats. And I think it's really important to know that in 2020, ML was no longer an aspirational technology. For a long time, the technology could have been limited to, you know, a few major tech companies or hardcore academic researchers. But things began to change when cloud computing is entering the mainstream and when compute power and data became more available. And so we're seeing ML make an impact across every industry, finance, retail, media and entertainment, healthcare, real estate, you name it. I want to just call out this second stat in the middle, which is by the end of 2024, 75% of enterprises will shift from piloting AI to operationalizing AI. And if I know one thing about enterprises, it's that they plan three years in advance. So right now, this is the time to make sure that you guys are thinking about not only those top use cases and how ML is affecting your industry, but how to actually make it real. Now, as I mentioned, my work is with the top machine learning startups in the world and working with them on what they're building and how to help them grow their business. And one thing that I find really interesting is you can often look at the startup market segment to figure out what is going to happen in sort of broader technology and broader business. And so I did just want to call out a few of those statistics around machine learning startups, namely that Crunchbase is seeing obviously an amazing growth in this space and that this is still a really early scene. 83% of machine learning startups are in that early stage and have just three or fewer funding rounds, so seed or angel rounds. We're past the stats, seeing that ML is an essential part of technology and that enterprises are really moving into this operational space. I want to just share what we normally see in the ML development workflow slides. And so you're going to see things like labeling data, pre-processing data, cleaning that data, denoising, being able to turn that into some sort of trained model. Jin sort of gave me a heads up that some folks in the audience might be extremely technical, some are going to be not at all technical, and so I'm going to be speaking to broad audience here. But in general, these are just the steps to build a model. And this is the slide that everyone shows. What that totally doesn't take into account is everything outside of the technical development workflow. And so that is not touching on these sort of nuances of building an ML project. Things like making sure you're even picking the best use case, making sure you have the right team in place. Frankly, even making sure you have the right team member count. Is this a three-person project or a 15-person project? Because picking the wrong number, you're either going to be over-provisioned for your resources and you could have reallocated those resources elsewhere, or you're going to be under-provisioned and you're going to have a huge blocker in that project. Getting together that timeline, picking the budget, making sure you're setting those correct success metrics ahead of time, being able to track the project. I know some of these pieces sound just general project management. But if you don't have someone who has done this in machine learning before, you're going to be facing a bit of an uphill battle, or certainly if you don't have a coach in place externally to be able to help you. So this is all to say that, yes, there are many tools that help within the development of the workflow, but you have to expand your scope to think even outside of that in order to adopt AI. So again, we're going to be taking into account the context 
to be able to cover strategies to adopt AI. We're going to be covering five strategies and really looking at several input variables, we can say. Resources, that means the skill sets, the actual people that also can talk about money and budget. We're also going to be talking about time. You have a certain timeline that you have to operate within. If you have a budget that is going to expire by second half of 2021, that is going to change how you might structure these upcoming machine learning projects. Now, one thing that I always get after talks that I give is like, wow, you made it really, really tactical. That is my goal. So as you see slides that inspire something or that gave you new information or that made you want to ask something as a follow-up, I encourage you all to screenshot that slide to write down your question in the chat, to tweet at me, because again, this is an ongoing dialogue, but I'm gonna do my absolute darndest to cover these four questions as we discuss each of the five strategies. And I also want to say that these strategies can be combined, right? Most enterprises are not necessarily looking at only one option of which AI use case to go after and which team is only gonna be touching that workflow. It is likely the case that you're thinking about ML in a variety of spaces in your business and that you're probably going to be using a combination of these. So for each of these, we're going to be looking at four things. Number one, what the heck am I talking about? What is this strategy? Number two, can you give me an example? Can you make it real? Number three is who should really be picking this option? And number four, this is the MBA hat that I'm going to be throwing on. I'm going to be taking off the computer science hat and really putting on the trade-off analytics view. A lot of the times when AI presentations or AI trainings are happening, AI decisions could be happening in a vacuum. You're evaluating the value that it provides to your business without necessarily realizing what implicit trade-off you're making. And so to the best of my ability, I'm going to be giving a quite realistic view of what this adoption strategy might look like so that you're not making those decisions in a vacuum. This is it. We're going into options one through five, and we're going to be hitting each of these four. Okay, number one is going to be what I would consider one of, if not the easiest option. And when I say easiest, I mean as it compares to like other development efforts. So what sort of development lifecycle are you looking at? How fast can you actually like, crank it out? And how much effort are you bringing into it outside of that? How much data are you bringing into it? How much budget are you bringing into it? So option one, you're going to be looking at an API. There's sort of a broad range of APIs in the AI space, but in general, either this API is going to be pre-trained or you can customize it. So this is the level 100, what is she even talking about view of adopting a pre-trained or customizable API. A developer that works at your company is going to be leveraging a fully managed, meaning the instances behind it, how it's getting provisioned, how easily it scales up and scales down. If you have 10,000 people visiting your website on day one and two people visiting your website on day two, everything is fully managed behind that so you don't have to worry about scale, right? So it is an API endpoint managed by someone else. Certain APIs can be customized via transfer learning, and I'll give an example in a couple slides. And you're only going to be paying for the queries or the questions that you're asking this computer system. You're not going to be paying for a GPU or a CPU that it's running on. If you're pinging this API with what is in this image, you're only paying for either that question or the amount of compute it takes to answer that question. So you're only paying for what you use. And if you don't need it for five days, you're not paying for it. 
I'm gonna give two examples here because this is such a broad world that it helps to just see a couple examples. Um, one that's gonna be customized, one that's not. So this is Amazon recognition, recognition with a K. This is our computer vision API. And this is a custom labels example, meaning I've given it a bunch of examples of a pizza in different orientations and the computer trains the model. And now it goes, okay, now I know what a pizza looks like. And so you're gonna share a brand new image that it's never seen before, this one. And it's going to say, here's a bounding box over where I believe the pizza is. And it did a really great job here. And it's also gonna give you a confidence score, how confident the computer system is that indeed there is a pizza there. So it's 98.5% confident. And so you can see the photo on the right. It's also gonna be able to pick it up in different orientations. Really, this is saying, okay, I have 5 billion images. Quickly tell me which ones have pizza in it because my app wants to show pictures of pizza. So this is a way to easily manage an image catalog, easily be able to search it. This is a very textbook example of being able to use APIs. And so this is a customizable API. We're not gonna go too deep into transfer learning, but the thing to keep in mind is someone else, in this case, Amazon, has provided you know, millions of examples of what different things look like in the world. And so the computer has gotten in its head, okay, I kind of know what pixels mean, I know what blobs are, I know what edges are, I know what lines are. And so you're just giving it that last layer of detail to be able to train the entire network to figure out what a pizza indeed looks like. Another example here is using Amazon Textract which is a fully trained API to be able to read a document. So you give it a scanned PDF that is you know, normally not computer legible, or you give it a JPEG, and it's able to extract tables, forms, handwriting, words, so that you can do some sort of processing on it. In this case, you know, Anthem is one of the largest health insurance providers in the United States with over 40 million members. And so Anthem was able to use Textract to automate the claims process and was able to automate 80% of that claims workflow using Amazon Textract. I should mention all of these APIs can be tested for free in the Amazon console. You can create an account for free. It's actually quite fun to play with. Here's my directive. If you're asking yourself, okay, sounds great. I need to label defects in my manufacturing line, or I need to quickly digitize documents, or I want to have a conversational you know, chatbot on my website. How should I know if this is right for me? So pick this one if you've got developers in-house who are interested in machine learning. You really, really are prioritizing speed. You want to get up and running fast. You feel your use case is common. And, you know, I gave some examples here, but things like object detection, like finding that pizza, sentiment analysis, is this email happy, sad? Or if your company is lacking some training data to start with. So kind of the combination of several of these factors might lead you down this path. And I always kind of say, start with this path. It's actually very low effort to experiment in this space and also low cost. And again, analyzing those trade-offs that you're going to be making in favor of speed and in favor of saying, okay, I have developers in-house. I might not have data scientists. I might not have machine learning engineers. You're not going to be able to really, really heavily customize, but you're going to get that speed and you're going to be able to do it without hiring 20 new people. So again, showing a couple examples here, Amazon Transcribe, the ability to take an audio file, quickly turn it into text. We talked about, you know, anomaly detection in general. That could be fraud detection. That could be looking for defects. 
And I mentioned on a previous slide, Amazon Personalize, the ability to build your own recommendation engine. There are several examples. They're all in that top section called AI services. These all have free tiers. Go check them out. Let's keep going. Option two, let's take a breather. We're gonna be going to a bit more complex. So option two is in a machine learning platform. This is going to be leveraging, again, a fully managed machine learning platform to manage that entire end-to-end -end part of the development and ML workflow. So build, train, and deploy your own ML models. Who is the user in this case? Generally is a developer or a data scientist using that ML platform to operationalize the entire end-to-end -end ML workflow. When I mention end-to-end, -end, if you recall back to that slide where I was showing the ML development workflow with a couple of those uh, neon squares, those features also include things like feature storage for engineering efficiency to be able to cross-collaborate with your data science team, bias detection, model monitoring to think about concept drift as your model has been in production, how has new input data changed? How should your model change? How should you be thinking about new data, new updates, and even small details like hyperparameter optimization. Trust me, your data science teams will thank you there. And again, you're only going to be paying for the compute you use. There's going to be less of a DevOps lift for that team. You're gonna be thinking less of DevOps and custom scripts and a bit more on the full efficiency of that development workflow. So we've got another example here, Nike. You all know Nike. I think yesterday my entire outfit was Nike. World's leading designer, marketer, distributor of athletic footwear. And despite me wearing Nike all day yesterday, I did not work out. So again, don't let that color your picture of me. But Nike was really adopting SageMaker to be able to create an end-to-end -end personalization workflow for product recommendations. And I love this last stat, if you look at the very bottom, projected to reach 3x in revenue in recuperated costs from increased conversion rates. There are several examples of this on both the Amazon personalized customer page and also the Amazon SageMaker page. And again, you're thinking, wow, both of these are recommendation engines. What's the difference? And it's the need to hyper-customize that model. You can build similar use cases in each of these layers, and we'll talk about yet a third one, but it's really going to be who is building it, what features do they need, what is the level of complexity that my business requires. And so if you're thinking about, okay, when should I use this ML platform? It's really if you need to build your own custom model. And you can see that the user has changed from not only a developer, but a developer and a data scientist wanting to build their own ML models. We're seeing data science. I'm sure you guys have tried to hire a big batch of data scientists. They can be hard to come by, but if you've got them in-house, making sure you use them for the utmost efficiency. Number three is you've got resources to be able to oversee a successful ML project. We're starting to get into some of the more complex ML workflows. And so as we're talking about project management, as we're talking about team building, as we're talking about the ability to deploy this to a customer, this is when you really want to make sure that you have that whole context baked in. You're looking to improve engineering velocity within your machine learning group. So sometimes you've got five data scientists or five researchers all working on their individual laptops. One of their laptops falls, one of their laptops crashes, you've lost every single thing that she's worked on. And so you wanna make sure that you're really thinking about, okay, how do we make sure that none of this work is lost and that these five people are collaborating together? And I throw in here, you know, you want to build more than one model. Really, this is not a specific science. I don't really mean build more than one model, but I do mean that you want to really do ML. 
and I'm putting that in quotes, and maybe this is harkening back to the Nike slide, but it means that you've got you know, more than one data scientist and you want them to collaborate. You've got more than one model and you want to be able to compare their performances to each other. You've got more than one ML project and so you want to find efficiencies within that. You're looking for lower TCO. This is the point of looking at a full end-to-end -end ML platform, a lower total cost of ownership as you think about it in aggregate. So this is going to be a measure twice, cut once approach. So this is really for companies that are saying, ML is not a one-off for me. This is part of our enterprise strategy. You're gonna be able to adopt those modular features. As I mentioned, there were feature store or bias detection or model monitoring. We had over 50 releases for SageMaker alone last year. And so being able to adopt what your enterprise needs to be able to have a more efficient ML workflow. The trade-off here is that you're not gonna be able to go down to the hyper, hyper, hyper customized level, right? You're not gonna be able to completely own your full custom ML environment, and that'll be the next section. So I'm gonna go back to this slide that I showed in the beginning, which is you've got those AI services up top. We now just covered that middle section, the ML services, which is Amazon SageMaker, the ability to adopt all those features. We're gonna go down to the hyper customized bottom section. Here's where it gets a little imperfect because you can kind of combine things in options two and three, you can combine things in three and four, but taking this as just like a general rule of thumb to be able to take back to your team. So option three, you're gonna be looking at that bottom layer, raw frameworks, infrastructure, compute. You're gonna be customizing everything, customize your entire ML environment, and you're going to be able to look at the brand new instances that are available in the cloud and use them before they're getting integrated into these other tools. Who's the user in this case? Likely not a developer, likely even not a data scientist. You're gonna be looking for an expert ML practitioner that has likely done this for years. These are some of the hardest folks to hire and bring in-house. Uh, and they're going to be using, again, what I said, these not only raw frameworks, infrastructure and compute, but you might even be looking at prepackaged AWS DL AMIs or deep learning Amazon machine images. And I'll kind of talk about what that means. You're going to be potentially making your own framework. You're going to be really specifying it to your domain. You could be building up new ML libraries. And so that's why you want to open up this level of customization. Not only are you going to be able to customize your own ML environment, but it's also the ability to integrate it with your own custom-made tools, your own in-house tools that you guys have adopted. So again, as you're thinking about this, ask yourself, do I have 20 expert ML practitioners who love the full customization and are willing to trade off not having bias detection, model monitoring, all of that fully managed for them to be able to look at that? So again, none of this is gonna be quite perfect clean cut because you could combine some things in options two and three. Wix.com is an example of adopting those deep learning containers to improve velocity 20%. And I'm gonna just cut to that last sentence, which is same optimized and stable TensorFlow environment throughout our entire pipeline from research to training to production. So one of the patterns that we see in this very bottom layer is heavily looking at moving things from research into production. Another thing might be that you're really wanting to not only take that custom ML environment, but redeploy that exact same custom ML environment in several different spots. And that's why you might look into containerization. So when should you pick this one? If you want the most customization possible and you're willing to make that trade-off of efficiency, you're willing to make that trade-off for features and potentially you know, team collaborations, you want to put in that effort yourself. 
You want access to the newest instances. And when I say instances, I mean GPUs, CPUs, ML optimized instances. You might be looking to add ML to Kubernetes applications on EC2. EC2 is our instance family. Or as I mentioned, you want to run those custom ML environments in several different areas. One kind of common pattern here is if you are a you know, consulting firm or you are a system integrator, and so you're working on behalf of several downstream customers. The trade-off that you are making, again, is you're going to be losing some of those workflow upgrades, some of that total cost of ownership and efficiency in favor of full, full, full control and customization. So looking back at that slide, you're going to be really focusing on this bottom layer. And again, there's some non-cleanliness here because you can deploy deep learning containers and DLMs. You can orchestrate those through Amazon SageMaker, which was the platform we talked about. But in general, we're talking about leveraging TensorFlow, PyTorch, those DLMs, those brand new GPUs, those brand new ML instances in a fully customized environment. All right, so those are... If I think of like the X, Y axis of need for customization and also general resources in-house, whether I have developers, developers and data scientists, super, super expert ML practitioners, I really want to look at that X, Y axis and say, okay, realistically, where am I today? The answer might also be, where should I be in a year? And so if you're saying, okay, today I'm somewhere down here, I really don't have the ability to take on some of these other capabilities, these other options, options two and three that have more customization, more, I'll say power, right? We want to be able to say, where do we want to be adopting? Where should we be in a year? There's a lot of pre-planning here, but I'm also gonna be walking through some options for how you can get outwards on this axis without necessarily hiring 10 MLEs or ML engineers. So option four is taking a look at external partners. One option is the AWS Machine Learning Solutions Lab. There's also a set of vetted third-party builders. So we're gonna be talking about a couple examples there and where you can actually find them. So what does this actually look like? Your company is working alongside one or potentially more than one third-party partners to build out a solution. Sometimes it is their developers handling the full development, of course, working alongside your team, although there's usually co-development work happening. And of course, even though you're co-developing it, and obviously double check the contract, but in general, you're owning the IP that is developed here. Partners that you bring in are going to have that deep technical expertise. They're going to be familiar with all the tools that I mentioned on those previous slides. They're going to be familiar with down to things like S3 for storage, EMR, EC2, Kubernetes, all those pieces, they're going to be able to immediately jump in and help you develop that ML workflow. This is also generally a paid engagement, though there are co-funding opportunities. And again, I'm trying to keep this general as you think about your AI strategy, but also keeping in mind where those Amazon Web Services examples come in. So these are things to reach out to your AWS account manager for if you have questions around the co-funding, but I want to make sure to show examples of both Amazon and third-party partners. So 
Number one, we got Aramax, global logistics firm and transportation provider. They want to provide their customers with more accurate and instant prediction of delivery time. So they partnered with one of our ML competency partner, name is InnoWisdom, to create ML models to predict shipment transit using Amazon SageMaker. So they brought in a third-party partner to really look at that middle layer, option two. They were able to increase accuracy of transit time predictions by 74%. This is really leveraging ML to start to look into predictions, not necessarily classifications, meaning labeling things the way they are for better searching, like that 5 billion images and narrowing down to what has pizza, but really thinking ahead to the future. Note that I'm teeing up an idea that I'm going to bring back at the end. And then we've also got an example here of Formula One. Formula One wanted to be able to look at critical race performance stats, being able to make those race predictions, give fans insight. And I sort of love this example because Formula One was able to work with the ML Solutions Lab, which is an internal lab at AWS, to develop what they call fastest driver insights using ML to be able to extract race data and performance stats on every driver since 1983, really to help fans better understand this. And you might be thinking, why is the fan experience so important? So much of what is happening right now in the analytics and ML space is improvement of customer experience. You're starting to see IP and moats created through amazing user experiences and customer delight moments. And so you saw that for the last, you know, five, 10 years with innovations in customer support, but you're starting to see ML not only used for cost savings and prediction support, but also thinking about how can we improve the overall customer experience so that customers are even more engaged with our brand. Time to use this external builders, external partners would be if you're resource constrained. Now, you can be resource constrained for a variety of reasons. You've got a lot of projects happening at once and you want to be able to do more. Maybe you have a timeline. Maybe you have that budget that's going to expire. Maybe you have a promise to a stakeholder or you have limited or missing skill sets in-house. And again, thinking about the timeline pressure plus that skill set means that maybe you're not going to be able to look outside and hire and say, we're willing to wait a year to bring that skill set in-house, or we're willing to wait six to 12 months to be able to train that skill set in-house. Number two, I think a lot about the speed of an internal learning curve. And I think when I talk about engineering velocity as it relates to that middle layer, ML services, I think a lot about internal learning velocity of an enterprise. And how quickly are you able to adapt to changing pressures in the you know, entire world of technology. Machine learning is one part of that. And so as you think about your internal upskilling, both learning machine learning, learning new tools, learning new customer trends, what does that internal learning velocity look like and how are you maintaining your edge? One is bringing inside like a coach. And so you can think about third-party partners as that coach, as that expedite of internal learning curves. Number three, which is often an overlooked one, is if you want to deploy a similar use case to something that they've done before. Oftentimes, they will have, you know, potentially created their own technology to add on top of an existing tool. And so they've built something that actually makes their workflow for you more efficient, thus more cost effective. The trade-off here is that, you know, you will be paying for this engagement and for this expertise and for this project management. 
But the trade-off is that you're not going to have to find these really hard to hire machine learning engineers. There is a skill gap in the world of machine learning and you want to make sure that your business is staying in front of emerging technology and you won't need to have that in-house pressure of being able to hire those folks. And you're going to have that coach next to you as you co-develop the solution. If you want to write down a quick hyperlink or you want to screenshot this, if you head to partners.amazonaws.com, you can search for partners, you can filter by competency, you can say machine learning, you can type in a use case. There are so many here. I'm just going to leave you with this. Screenshot it, find a partner. Awesome. Number five, and we have been blowing through this because one of the things that I promised Jin was that we were going to have time for questions. So number five is looking at that full solution. This is a full tool. This is a SaaS solution from other providers. And you're probably thinking, oh, I want to build my own. I want whatever. You don't build your own email client. You don't build your own chat platform that you all use in-house. You know, I'm making a lot of assumptions, but my guess is that you all haven't customized your own email platform. And so I behoove you all to think about what technologies have you adopted, where you have adopted that SaaS solution, what has it done for your business, and why might it actually be a competitive advantage to adopt SaaS earlier. So again, just like your email provider, just like your chat platform, your company can adopt a ready-made ML solution. This can range from customer support to something as specific as a background noise classifier I'm sure you heard that there was a garbage truck for like the first half of this entire presentation, right? Maybe you want to, I know Jin mentioned cats purring or dogs barking. Maybe you want to be able to classify those even down to video sports recognition and being able to pick up on those actions. These tend to be either more end-to-end solutions, more soup to nuts, more horizontal platforms, something that has a UI so you can just really download it as an app, whether it's a you know, mobile app, web app, desktop app, doesn't really matter. Or it's something that your team of developers can just connect. And so we'll be talking about the marketplace. This is not a high development lift as compared to some other pieces we talked about. This is like a few clicks. So we're going to be talking about how you can adopt this in the marketplace and what my team does in terms of startups. And so two quick examples here. The AWS Startups organization is really fostering not only the growth of startups, but really the entire ecosystem as it relates to startups. And part of that is connecting startups with the best enterprise customers out there, the best public sector customers out there to be able to have a win-win situation where the enterprise customer doesn't have to roll their own and that startup is able to access an amazing customer, an amazing reference for marketing, an amazing source of customer feedback. So two examples here, one was Agenta, which is using AI in the mental health space. We were able to connect them with NASA, and so NASA is gonna be leveraging them to have a conversational interface for astronauts looking to communicate with their families and mission control from space. And another example is Autology. And I know you're thinking, Yard operations management, not the sexiest thing ever. Exactly. That is exactly when you should be adopting a SaaS solution. If you are looking to grab something that already exists and something that has been already adopted by enterprise, by you not adopting this, you are potentially losing that velocity that other enterprises have been able to grab. And so 
Autology, we've been able to connect them with four large manufacturing companies within the Fortune 100 to be able to have that ready-made SaaS solution they can just grab, go, adopt, and run. When should you pick this one? This is, first of all, look if it exists. I always tell people there is a powerful tool out there. It is search. So head to the AWS Marketplace throw in a search for this ready-made solution that you might be looking for, look at your search engine and see if it already is out there. Contact our team. We get floods of enterprise requests asking for, hey, do you have a startup in the you know, planogram space where you can take pictures of my inventory and be able to predict something in that space? Do you have any startups that are fully managed marketing platforms where really, I don't want to bring in a data scientist. I just want my marketers to be able to access a really nice UI and look at some dashboards. I'm not going to be able to bring in developers. So do you have anything for you know marketing AI platforms? This is when our entire team called AWS Connections can come in and make that direct connection, that direct introduction. These are going to be warm introductions that are fully vetted on both sides. And that third-party vendor marketplace that I was talking about for the most part, leverages what we call the SCAP, which is the standard contract for AWS Marketplace. So as you're thinking about the expedite of procurement, both in the billing space and the, hey, let's go through months and months and months with my internal legal team, you're only going to have to do that once. And then from that point on, you can look at any of these marketplace offerings that feature that same contract. You're going to be able to do you know, one-click deploy. The bill is just part of your AWS bill. Procurement is if I were to like point to anything of my time with the enterprise, procurement is like literally number one, number two problem. So always thinking about how you can make that a little easier on your team. And of course, we also talked about being resource constrained and what that means for why you'd look externally. So again, if you're resource constrained or you already have those ML resources, and you're going, you know what? I was going to make a yard operations management platform, but I already saw Autology exists. So instead I'm going to redirect them to a personalized recommendation engine. That trade-off that you're looking for is, yes, you will be paying for this ready-made solution, this fully baked UI that your marketers can access. You might have that minor lift in procurement. Again, I think it is so much easier than what it used to be years and years ago. But that is in favor of not needing to develop that entire solution yourself, focusing on your IP, focusing on your end customers and what you need to provide to them, and not needing to expend your ML resources or not needing to upskill internally. That was a lightning fast recap of what I believe are the five options. There are a lot of nuances in between. You can combine them, you can recombine them in many different ways. The best thing you can do is contact me, your account manager, friends in machine learning. You know, you don't have to necessarily go to AWS, though we've done this tens of thousands of times and have a lot of expertise here, but really asking around and figuring out where to triage and where to spend your time. I'm going to end with my words of wisdom that I need to get off my chest, which is take into account this trade-off, make it fully baked. Don't make this AI decision in a vacuum. Really take into account all of your executive priorities that your business is looking at. And after you've analyzed this trade-off, run, go, and move fast. I gave a talk on the power of adaptability and the fact that scalability is completely table stakes now. 
right? 10 years ago, everyone was talking about scalability in the enterprise. It is table stakes. That chapter in my life is closed. We got to focus on adaptability. And the best example of this is COVID. No one, you know, we talked about in the beginning how COVID has changed in predictions that we were able to make in this world. No one could have predicted the effect of COVID on jet fuel consumption, on retail inventory predictions, on grocery delivery apps. The ability to bake in machine learning means that it is learning and adapting to new incoming data and your business is going to be more agile so that you can take the resources that you would have spent falling behind and redeploy them elsewhere. Moving forward, my belief and what I say is the next decade is going to be all about business adaptability and machine learning is one of the largest driver of that. So again, whether you DIY, whether you work with a partner, whether you're adopting this full solution, again, I say now is the time. And here are some resources to end on. Learn if you're looking to upskill yourself, head to that first link, aws.training slash machine learning. There are learning courses for developers, for data scientists, also for business decision makers. If you're thinking to yourself, I have no idea what machine learning is, start with that link. Connect. As I mentioned, your account manager is usually the good first step. And build. As I've walked through those five adoption paths, think through the one that is best suited for your company. You know, use some gut check, ask around, make sure that that seems about right and just start. This is your first AI ML use case. And so your velocity is going to be determined by how this first solution goes and how you're planning ahead for the future. Thank you for that overview and just laying out the options that are available out there. I really like this notion too of, look, there's a learning aspect and then this speed, 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 right? Like think about what you're doing experiment like crazy and then go. And I think that's what we need on the market. And you guys are kind of the hub for this. Uh, we'll take a couple of questions here that came in. This is from Shibani. For an enterprise developing in-house data capabilities, what's the most important and first step to consider, especially since data scientists are relatively tough to find and upskilling is a big part of the transformation effort. So I think this is more from an enterprise perspective. Sure. My joke is that within your question, you've already made an assumption that I would say don't make the assumption that you have to use machine learning in that use case. So question one is whatever problem you are looking at, do you actually require machine learning? Can you look at it through the lens of analytics or through something rules based? Right. That is likely going to be lower development effort. And so starting there, potentially the user that helps solve that is a data analyst, which is going to be a lot easier to find. So step one is thinking about, do you actually need machine learning? Step two, which I think is actually what you were probably asking and not my like poke and prod answer, is after you have thought of, do you actually need to do ML? Step two is thinking about all of the ML use cases you could go after and how you're going to prioritize that. In general, a product manager is going to be one of the best people to involve in this conversation. Your engineering lead or VP of engineering um, head of ML or head of data science is going to need to be part of that. Generally, a CTO, again, depending on how large your company is. So those are some of the decision makers that I would have in the room, as well as a, you know, potentially a finance stakeholder. Great. Yeah. We do some research around this and we always joke, you know, there's the data cleaning janitorial work and sometimes you don't need your, you know, PhD level physics uh, machine learning specialist doing all that. I, I wish I had a shirt that said, if your MLE is cleaning data, you're doing it wrong. Like, your 80% of a data scientist time is complaining about cleaning data. Yep. Like it is a 
really arduous process. And so thinking about what tools already exist out there, you know, we have several examples of startups on AWS who's literally just providing options for cleaning data or providing synthetic data generation. Abacus AI is a great example of that founded by an ex-AWS GM, thinking about how can you think through the entire data pre-processing with not just data that exists today, but creating new data. Great. Another question here from Jay. It says, what support does the AWS team provide to organizations that are on AWS and wish to tap into pre-built models, accelerators that AWS may have built to kickstart their own AIML projects? The answer is a lot. In the startup machine learning space alone, we have 25 plus programs that we can help startups adopt machine learning with or to help grow their ML business. And I imagine the enterprise is either that or more. This can reach co-marketing, this can reach to co-funding, this is technical workshops, providing free enablement sessions where our technical team comes in and trains your team, right? So you bring your 20 developers in and we lead a two to three hour session for free so that you guys can learn ML or these tools. I like to think that we are your antennas. There were over 250 machine learning releases from AWS last year. And on the one hand, that is an incredible feat. It's pointing to our speed of innovation. It's pointing to our ability to contribute to the ecosystem, all that. It is a very overwhelming thing to look at if you are not reading about AWS every single week. Please don't use your dev cycles to make sure that you're on top of every single new AWS release. This is when you can lean on your account manager, you can lean on your technical teams to flag, you know, potential solutions that you should be looking at that could have been released in the last, you know, three months. I talk to startups all the time where they say, you know, we really have a problem with X. And I'm like, oh my God, we released that a year ago. Here, let me provide this for you. So lean on that technical team and that strategic team to almost act as like an internal search engine so that you're not spending those cycles learning every single option on your own. And that also goes to looking after partners and solutions. Oftentimes when a startup or a company or an enterprise comes to us to say, I have a problem with X, we are providing three options, right? In that options of five, hey, if you want to build your own, here's this. If you want to buy one, here's this. And so we're able to kind of provide those options. Ultimately, it's up to you and your business workflow, how you want to evaluate all those against each other. Great. Question here from Joseph. This is more regarding ROI and internally how to think about this, but what business frameworks do you use to show the value of an AI project? Uh, which is to say, how do you help an executive sponsor really buy in and understand the value of this? Sure. My answer is look at your business spreadsheet. And I put it in quotes because it's usually a humongous dashboard that is shared with thousands of people. But whatever that master dashboard, that master KPI, your metrics look Find a metric you despise, find a metric you are horribly underperforming with, find a metric that you wish you could fix, right? And combine that with where do you have skill sets or where are there solutions or what can be helped with machine learning? And your goal is to improve that metric. So your ROI is based on your ability to drive a delta in that metric. The example of Nike and being able to better convert using product recommendation improvements the metric there was revenue, right? But you're not going to be looking at the metric of revenue going, oh, I want to make more money. That's a very narrow, naive view to look at business. Really, you're looking at, hmm, X percent of people are converting on our website. I bet we could increase that and that could lead to better revenue. And so again, as you're looking at these metrics, these are times to tap into 
someone that has already done this hundreds or thousands of times to be able to say, hey, I have have an inkling that there's something in the customer support space where 30% of our calls are dropped off. Do you have any way that I could think through that problem? I have a question for you. What's exciting for you in this space? You know, you're dealing with lots of startups. You obviously see all the issues that come from enterprise. Like what gets you going around this kind of work? I work with the coolest people in the world. Like it is incredible to work with these ML teams, whether they're at a startup, whether they're at an enterprise and they're looking to adopt startup solutions. Like my day yesterday, I worked with a software company in the self-driving car space, a healthcare AI company in the individual tracking metrics space. Number three was a genomics use case in life sciences to be able to look at better improvement of clinical trials. Number four was sort of like a media and entertainment solution for improvement of recommendations for videos and ads. So this is, I mean, the breadth that is in the world of machine learning, whether it's self-driving cars, robotics, healthcare AI, fintech AI. I love that it feels like an insight into the future because everything that's happening in startups today, and this is one of the reasons why I absolutely encourage folks to look at what's happening in the startup space, is that that is what will be adopted in the enterprise in the next you know, one to five years, depending on how mature that solution is. It's one of the ways to get that crystal ball. Yeah, there's something about being on the cutting edge of innovation that's really exciting, especially as machine learning is driving it. Yeah. And ML is not everything, right? There's also like quantum computing, AR, VR, IoT. Like this is not me saying uh, this is the only cutting edge thing. But yeah, if you want to go even earlier than that, like I read machine learning papers every week. If you look at papers with code or two minute papers on YouTube, that is my absolute favorite channel. You can nerd out for hours, get a group of friends together, watch a couple two minute papers on YouTube, and you will literally have a better ability to predict the future. We're about to close out here. Let me just plug two things. One, we have a Slack channel. Please get engaged, continue these discussions, provide feedback. Also, our talk next month is uh, with a good colleague of mine at Commonwealth Bank in Australia, and they've done a whole lot, again, with the customer experience that Ali talked about and the interface and, and how to use machine learning to think about it. They operate a couple billion data points on, um, I think, 350 models. So it's uh, pretty intriguing to engage both retail and customer feedback they get virtually and digitally. It's great. Ali, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been wonderful. Any last things you want to share with us? The only thing that I would suggest is think about the word adaptability. How is your team adapting to change? How is your entire corporate culture adapting to change? And how is your technical workflow adapting to change? So being able to evaluate that with full context, focus on adaptability. Machine learning is but one part of that. And contact us if you have any questions. I'm also recognizing people's faces from Twitter profile photos that I've seen come through. So that was very exciting for me. Bug me on Twitter. I'll be online trying to help you all. All right. Well, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Bye, guys. Thank you all for joining. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of AI in Enterprise. To subscribe to our newsletter, find out about upcoming events, and other updates about the Lab for Innovation Science at Harvard, please visit our website at lish.harvard.edu. That's L-I-S-H dot Harvard dot E-D-U.